kind of just wonders out loud about what it must have been like for Mary and, and how she was taking in all of this reality of what was coming into her world and, and could she possibly have appreciated the magnitude of what was happening to her as, as she was being kind of roped in, recruited to play the part of, of, of Jesus' mother. Um, it's called Mary, Did You Know? If, if you're not familiar with it, I just want to invite you to listen along as uh, Diane sings it for us. Thank you. Uh, now, what I want to read the actual passage when Mary first knew. Um, and so this is sort of the, uh, the story behind the song. It's from uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end." And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is in the sixth month with her who has been called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the Lord departed from her. I, I love how this song reflects that passage, and what I want to do is unpack it, unpack that story together and see what's in there that uh, we can take home and implement into our own lives. And so what I want to look at are four things. Um, just following the structure of the passage. The first is the setting. Uh, the second is the salutation. The third is the sun. And the fourth is, is the strategy. So, uh, so I want to start out by talking about the setting, which the passage talks about. Gabriel is told to go to a destination, and that destination is a town called Nazareth. And what you need to understand about Nazareth is that Nazareth is not the epicenter of anything. It is way off the beaten path. It's outside of any place that you would ever expect anything great to happen. And, and so maybe it's not a whole lot different um, than a place like Carmel, right? You know, uh, of course, Carmel is about to get a Taco Bell any day. I don't know if you've seen that, so I guess we're on the map for something. Um, but, you know, have you ever, like, sometimes I just wish, would, would, would one of my favorite franchises open up around here, you know, like Buffalo Wild Wings or, or, or Chick-fil-A or, or, or Trader Joe's? And, you know, we had a guy here at Lakeview uh, a few years ago, and he was part of the opening team that opened Chick-fil-A in Manhattan. And, and I shared my concern with him, and, and he said, Brian, I hate to disappoint you, but he says, here's what you need to understand. These major food franchises, they do all kinds of demographic studies before they invest anywhere. And so the reality is, is there is not going to be a Chick-fil-A in Carmel in your lifetime. <laughs> because he said, Putnam County just doesn't have the population density to warrant that kind of investment on their part. So, okay. That's that's the way business works in our world. I understand it. And, and, and back in the first century, in the nation of Israel, Jerusalem is where the big things happened. Jerusalem was the royal city. It's where the temple was, and, and it was the center of culture and of commerce. 
Nazareth, by contrast, was out in the backwoods. You know, there's, there's a line early on in John's gospel where, where Philip has just met Jesus, and he goes and tells Nathaniel, you've got to meet this rabbi, Jesus. And he mentions Jesus of Nazareth. And do you remember how Nathaniel responded? He says, Nazareth. Can anything come out of Nazareth? That's, 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 that's the way Nazareth was viewed. But the answer is yes. There is something good in Nazareth. Sometimes good things emerge out of the most unlikely and surprising places. And so the angel Gabriel travels to this backwoods town of Nazareth to visit a teenage girl named Mary. And, and if you break down that sentence, that one verse, it's, it's even written in a way that you can, you can get a glimpse of the apparent insignificance of this whole scene, not only of the address of Nazareth, but also to the individual this message is being addressed to. So it says, it says he went to Nazareth, that he went to a virgin. Now, we don't even get her name yet, because back then, it was a, a woman's identity was tied to the man that she was connected to. And so this nameless virgin is connected to Joseph, we learn. We're told his name first, and then we're told here's the things that he's connected to. Here's his connections. Here's, here's the bloodline he comes from, and such and such. And then finally, at the very end of the verse, we're told her name, Mary. And, and so it's seemingly the most insignificant person in the most insignificant place but sometimes things aren't the way they seem. And, and that's kind of a major theme in the Christmas story. Sometimes things are not the way they seem. There, there is no such thing as a minor figure in the eyes of God. Christmas reminds us that, that those who seem to get overlooked, that those who seem insignificant, those are the very ones that God so often seeks out and goes out of His way to work through. Things are not always what they seem. And, and make no mistake, if it seems like you're living an invisible existence in an invisible location, like no one sees, no one cares, and you're not sure if you even matter, then, then remember this take home from this passage that God does, no matter what you're setting, He cares and you matter to Him. So let's move from the setting to the salutation, Gabriel's greeting. He, he opens up with this line. He says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And what's interesting is Mary's response because she's worried, she's confused about what's coming out of the angel's mouth. And, and, and it says that she's troubled and she's not troubled because she's looking at an angel, because to me that would be understandable. You know, an angel is a very, I'm sure, intimidating kind of uh, presence, but it, goes, it says particularly that she was troubled at the words the angel spoke. This greeting that he gave, she couldn't comprehend that it was intended for someone like her. And so she's confused about it. She's not sure what's going on. She doesn't know what to make of it. It's like, this must be a mistake. You must have the wrong Mary. Me, favored one? 
the literal translation would be favored with grace. In other words, this message is addressed to someone special, someone that God has chosen to pour out his grace on in some kind of unique way. And, and Mary's mind just starts running into high gear. What in the world is going on? And, and realize, here's the cool thing, if, just to realize that how did Luke learn this information that he wrote down in his gospel? It's, it's very likely that he heard it firsthand from Mary. She told him, this is what it was like for me when the angel came. And so she's telling him firsthand account. The point being this is that there was zero expectation on Mary's part that anything extraordinary was coming her way. Zero. So, so Mary is not the kind of person who you would find posting things like, dream big, right? That's not Mary. That's just not who she is. Or expect great things to happen, and they will. That's not her. Mary is as normal as they come. She is a normal girl leading a normal life, and her aspirations are not dialed into greatness. She is, she is not some kind of charming, charismatic rock star. In fact, she is the last person that anyone, including herself, would ever expect to qualify for this role that she's about to be handed. But that's kind of the point, because what happened to her, the passage makes the point that it happened by the grace of God. It's all about the grace of God. You see, here's the thing. God isn't out recruiting superstars to accomplish his purposes. That's not what he's after. It's not what he's looking for. He's looking for empty vessels that he can pour his grace into. And so Gabriel assures Mary, he says, do not be afraid because you have found favor with God. And that, that word favor, that's the second time in this passage that this idea of grace is mentioned. That's, that's literally what that word favor means. It means grace and it, and it doesn't say that Mary earned favor with God, okay? Just to understand what's going on here, this is not some kind of reward that Mary gets to claim because of her outstanding devotion to God. It says she found favor with God. It's more like she crashed into this. She didn't pursue it. She didn't see it coming. She crashed into the grace of God. And this is more a statement about the one who is giving the grace than the one who's getting the grace. The, the greeting is all about the grace of God. And Christmas is all about the grace of God. Grace is God's undeserved favor. It's, it's getting what we haven't earned and what we don't deserve, and it comes from the heart of God that just gives it because it's who He is. He pours it out because it's just who He is. And, and Christmas may be a really good time for some of us to give up on the deeds-driven, performance-based religion. It, you know what that is? That's like, if I do this for God, then God will do that for me, okay? That's Santa. That's not God, right? Santa's mantra is what? Be good for goodness sake, because Santa is watching and he gives gifts to his good little boys and girls, and the bad little boys and girls are going to get cold. That's not God. 
That's not grace. God doesn't give His grace and His gifts because we're good. He gives it because He's good. See how different that is? Aren't you glad that God gives grace because He's good? And so that's that's the salutation. We looked at first the, uh, the obscure setting. Second is the strange salutation. Let's move on and look at the, the, the content of the message that Gabriel gave, which is all about the Son. This is the moment in time when Mary first gets this news about this Son that she would bear. And he says this, "'You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus.'" He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Okay, do you get the sense here that there's just a little bit of expectation that's attached to the life of this child? Maybe just a little bit, right? In the passage we looked at last week, if you were here, it was focused on the son who was born to save. This passage, the focus is all about the son who was born to reign. It's about the reigning Christ. And, and, and Gabriel's message highlights five specific things about the life of this child that Mary would give birth to. First, things it says, he says that this child would be called great, unilaterally great, no qualifications, just great. Now, now that's easily lost on us, but that would have been crystal clear to anyone living in the first century what that was referring to. Because in Palestine in the first century, there was a ruler on the throne who was called great. His name was Herod, Herod the Great. And so there's a contrast being set here between Herod the Great and Jesus the Great. And it goes on and says that, that this child, that he would be called not the son of Joseph, but he would be called the son of the Most High. Now, Most High is a title of authority. The, the God who reigns in the highest of heavens, it's talking about him. And, and this is the same um, the same word that the angels sang to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest. The, the idea is that there's no one above God, right? There is no one God answers to. There are no rival authorities that he has to contend with. And Gabriel is here making a statement that in this child, in Jesus, we would find genuine greatness and ultimate authority. That's that's Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. His authority doesn't just, it's not just limited to rulers. We, we learn from the life of Christ that his authority extends to death. It's over death, it's over disease, it's over sickness. Everything is subject to him. He goes on and says that this child would be given the throne of his father David by the Lord God. That, that he was born to reign over the house of Jacob forever, and then finally that his kingdom would go on forever. It would be an unending kingdom. Now, there is packed into that a whole lot of prophetic promises. Um, some of these promises were fulfilled on that first Christmas day when Jesus was born at his first coming. Others will be fulfilled when Jesus comes again at his second coming. 
But here's the point. All of these promises, all of these prophecies, all of these expectations are bound up in Mary's baby, in this child. And now we're, we're not going to get too granular in this. I know some people just love, they love it when we start talking prophecy. They're rolling up their sleeves. All right, I got charts and things and all that kind of stuff. We're not doing that, but, but make no mistake. Here, here's what I want to say. The promise holds, and the day is fast approaching when Jesus is returning. He will return. And make no mistake, when he returns, he is returning to rule and to reign over his people in his holy city. And Christmas is a time to remember that the king who came is coming again. And, and, and I can't think of a greater need to keep that promise front and center in our lives uh, now, in this season that we're in more than ever before. And so what I would encourage you and challenge you to do as you navigate your way through this crazy season that we're in with all of the unrest around us, let that constantly remind you of that coming day when Jesus returns, when he rules and reigns in righteousness. Let all the insanity, the seeming insanity of the politics and the world leaders, let that cause you, let it cause us to look upward, to anchor our hearts on the coming king. Because here's the truth. This broken down world desperately needs the right king seated on the right throne, and his name is Jesus and he's coming. So we looked at the setting, we looked at the salutation, we looked at the sun. One more. Let's, let's look at the strategy. So Gabriel has just finished this incredible message. He has just like dropped a bomb on Mary, and Mary's kind of like taking it all in. You can just imagine what is going through her mind, but she responds with one simple question. How? How? How is this going to happen since I am a virgin? And the answer that Gabriel gives is simple as well. He says this, it's going to take a miracle. That's, that's what it's going to take. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. See, the strategy is a supernatural work of God. That's what it was going to take. The power of the Holy Spirit doing something unprecedented. God is going to do what only God can do. And, and here's the point. Jesus was conceived in a way that no other child in the history of humanity in this world has ever been conceived. He was born in a completely unprecedented, altogether unique way because he would go on to live a life that was completely unprecedented and altogether unique from any other life. That's the story of Christmas. And, and, and if I can encourage you something that I, I haven't ever heard in a Christmas message before, but I want to challenge you to consider this Christmas, as much as Christmas is about Jesus coming down and being one of us and being like us, there's another side to that story. 
It's also just as much the story about how unlike you and how unlike me this baby who was born was and is. See, this Jesus is the one and only. There is no one like him. Mary's child is the one and the only Son of God. And, and Christmas, this, this Christmas season, this is, this is a season that is all about the supernatural work of God, the power of the Holy Spirit that birthed the Son of God. And here's how it happened. The same one who created the laws of science, the one who put them in place and holds our world together, he reserves the right to supersede them at will. And guess what? He doesn't ask for permission. Right? Gabriel, Gabriel puts it this way. He says, nothing is impossible with God. I hope that echoes in your hearts this season. You see, unlike you and unlike me, God, by definition, is able to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Maybe that's a truth we need to lock into this season. Nothing is impossible with God. Christmas is all about God breaking in and doing what human effort could never accomplish. And our response to that is, is modeled by Mary. It's to simply trust. It's to respond, to give God our yes, and to believe and, and now, let me clarify what I'm talking, because when I talk about belief and Christmas, there's a whole lot of belief attached to the Christmas season, but I'm not talking about that sappy, sentimentalized Christmas version of belief that, you know, like that power of positive thinking, like if you just believe something, you can, you can do whatever. That's, that's empty. That's vacant. If that's kind of the, the working definition of belief that you have, crumple it up and throw it away. Look at Mary's response. She says this, I am the servant of the Lord. May it be to me according to your word. See, her faith, her belief, her trust had an object attached to it, and it's the Lord. She gave God her yes, and it's a response of surrender. She surrenders to the plan of God that she's just pre been presented with. And she says, basically, Lord, whatever way you intend to use me to accomplish your plans and purposes, I'm on board. Count me in. And, and Mary models something for us about faith that's really important to get. And it's that who's the sovereign and who's the servant? Mary's the servant, God is the sovereign. And, and faith is not about us using God to try to accomplish our own agenda. It's about surrendering to God and finding our place in His plan and His purposes. We don't choose that. He chooses it. And here's the thing. His plan and His purposes are always greater and better and bigger than any kind of plan we will ever draw up on our own. That's it. Do you believe that? And, and his plan and his purposes are all bound up in this child that was born on Christmas. And with that response of surrender, we, we, we do find ourselves in a situation that's much like Mary in this passage, don't we? Right? We, we don't know what that means. 
We don't know where it's going to take us. Mary, did you know? The answer is no. No, how could she? Infinite God is coming into this world and being born through her. Is there any way you could possibly have fathomed the magnitude of what was going to happen? And how that simple response of faith and trust was going to recalibrate her own, her entire existence. No way. But here's the thing, either do we. But it's good. Because God is good. And his plan is centered around his son Jesus. And there's never a moment of regret in surrendering to him and his plan for our lives. And so as I close, I want you to consider a few things. Your setting. What's your setting? Where are you? Do you think that you're in a place that's too far away for God to use you? Are you finding yourself bundled up in your house, isolated away from people and saying, I wish I could be used by God, but I can't. God sees you, and he knows where you are, and you matter to him. Second, I want you to consider the salutation, that just as the angel announced to Mary that she was, she was Mary filled with grace, that our lives, the, the salutation, the greeting from God because of this Christ child and what he did, God's greeting to us is the greeting of grace. Come in. I want you. Not just if you've done enough and met all the conditions, but because you've trusted in Jesus, my son, who I sent to bring us back together. That's the response. Uh, thirdly, consider the son. Consider Jesus, who he is. There is, there is no way for us to talk too much and make too much of him. We can't do it. Whatever we say will be, by the definition, less than getting at the reality of who he is. And finally, the strategy. God is calling us today to trust, to trust him. Not to put ourselves in the place of sovereign where we say, here's what I've got to do and I'm going to make this happen and God, would you give me what I need to do this? But just, Lord, you've got a place for me. You've got a plan in place. My part may be just a small, minor little thing and use me. Use me and watch what happens. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much.